Well, I am uh, again excited about the message today. Um, always am, but you know I've been in a series that I think is a particular import uh, to our lives as believers and to the unfolding of God's purpose in the day that we live in. I'm preaching on the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And of course, um, this is, I think, number five in the series on mysteries of the kingdom. Uh, We've spent several Sundays already uh, talking about the first two mysteries, uh, the mystery of the plan of redemption and the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so essentially, uh, you know, in talking about mysteries, we need to be aware of the fact that the word mystery, musterion, the Greek word for mystery, means simply a lack of understanding. You don't, you don't understand something, and therefore it's not fruitful to your life. You can't do anything with it until you understand it, and revelation comes. And the whole Bible is a mystery to anybody that's not a believer. <clears throat> but Jesus said in Mark 4, that it's given unto you as a believer to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And you, you should know them. It is as these mysteries are unfolded, things that you don't understand, and you, your perception of a mystery, God doesn't hide things from you. He hides things for you. And there are things that you're not going to understand about the kingdom of God, about your life, Unless, of first, of course, you position yourself for revelation. Just because it's given unto you to know these things doesn't mean they're automatic. You position yourself by acquiring knowledge. I mean, God can't reveal truth about something to you if you don't even know what the something is. You need to read the Word of God, find out, uh, you know, what the Word has to say, build a base of knowledge. Knowledge is not the same as revelation. You can commit something just rote to memory and it doesn't mean a thing to you and you don't get it. There are a lot of things you can read and it doesn't seem to make sense to you. But God said that for you, you know, you should be believing and moving toward revelation of His Word, both spoken by the Holy Ghost as well as the written Word in the Bible. Because that's going to define your success in pursuing His will or His blessing. So this should be an important consideration for you. There are ten mysteries specifically spoken about in the New Testament. It's my goal in this series to go through each of these ten mysteries. And be sure that you you at least have the benefit of the anointing on pulpit ministry to reveal truth to you that you might not otherwise see. Then, of course, the other responsibility is to take things that you hear, but that you don't feel like you have really have enlightenment about, and and pray about them. Hold them up before the Lord when you're spending your time with God. Uh, But then these mysteries will begin to come clear. My part is to be sure you at least have a base of knowledge about what the Bible says regarding these mysteries. And like I've said, a a couple of them, he makes a statement, don't be ignorant of this mystery. Then he'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, at any rate. So today we're going to continue with our third mystery, uh, which would be found in 1 Timothy 3.16. So if you want to Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3.16. I guess I'll just do this off the screen for the moment. And this is the King James Version. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So we're going to be talking about this mystery, godliness. The mystery of godliness. And then he gives us a brief snapshot of that by saying God was manifest in the flesh justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now I think the, uh, there are other translations that open this a little further to our understanding. 
Uh, the, mis- the Message Bible says it this way. This Christian life is a great mystery. So, the mystery of godliness is really the mystery of the Christian life. And it says it's a great mystery. We're going to need revelation in order to understand how we are to experience life as a Christian. Far exceeding our understanding, but some things are clear enough. And then the message gives this recap or this snapshot. He appeared in a human body, was proved right by the invisible spirit, was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among all kinds of peoples, believed in all over the world, taken up into heavenly glory. Now this is a snapshot of the Christian life, the way God intends it to be. And just as Jesus appeared in the human body, then so will our Christianity be lived out, naturally speaking, in this temporal world that we live in. People are going to see things about Christianity in our natural experiences of life. And there's some things about your Christianity that happen in the natural that's going to need to be proven right by the Spirit, or as it said in another translation, vindication by the Spirit will be required. So we'll see some things happen in this natural world in our bodies as we live our Christianity, and there are going to be some things that have to be vindicated by the Spirit. All of this is seen by angels, a reference to the fact that we have ministry of angels available to us. For what purpose? Proclaiming the gospel among all kinds of peoples. And there are going to be people all over the world that believe in this, by the way. Uh, But, you know, everybody is to participate. This is a description of your Christianity. Preach the gospel into all of the world. It is our great commission even though most of you are not sent into the world. Yet you are to make a contribution to seeing the gospel go into all of the world. Every company of believers, we are told, you know, only increase in their realization of God's will for them uh, by virtue of the supply that every member of that company makes. This is Ephesians 4.16. There's a supply of talent, a supply of time, a supply of effort, and a supply of finances. And you're taking your place in the body enables uh, proclamation among all kinds of people of the gospel to actually occur, producing believers all over the world. So your Christianity is going to be lived in the natural. But there will be spiritually speaking, by the Holy Ghost, vindication of your choices and your lifestyle. Uh, There will be a proclamation through your contributions to that effort of the gospel among all peoples. There'll be believers uh, made throughout all of the world, and then you as Jesus will be supernaturally taken up into heavenly glory. I believe we are that generation that's not going to see death. We're going to hear the shout, the trump, and we'll be taken up into heavenly glory when this dispensation ends. But this is a snapshot of Christian life, which is a mystery to most people. And having just read this, it probably still is a mystery. Or some of the things that uh, escape your understanding probably still haven't been addressed. So, um, you know, it just so happens that I'm able to tie this mystery into our Easter celebration. You know, this is Palm Sunday today. You know, this is Easter week. Going to be consummated with the resurrection next Sunday. Amen. Uh, But it starts with Palm Sunday. I want us to read about this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Not one, I'm sorry, verse 6. Matthew 21, 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put, them, put on them their clothes 
and they set him thereon. This is, of course, in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming of the Messiah, coming on a colt uh, as in this manner. And so, you know, they went and got it and brought it and put him on there. And it says, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. This was done for royalty in that day. This was the acknowledgement of royalty, in particular, kingship. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then, of course, when he was coming to Jerusalem, all of the city was moved, saying, Who is this? I want you to see this verse, verse 10, from the Amplified. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city became agitated and trembling with excitement, said, Who is this? This is the apex of our Lord's ministry on this earth. This is the greatest display of adulation, receiving his, his kingship as royalty, as, as the Messiah. This is the, this is the pinnacle of his natural earthly ministry, uh, the acclamation, the celebration of the coming king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And all the city <clears throat> was agitated and trembling with excitement. Wow. So it's all the more amazing to think that in five days, in less than five days, the crowds had disappeared and dispersed. The only people that were around spat upon him, mocked him, even his own disciples wanted to, uh, you know, separate themselves from him for fear of what might come to them. He was utterly alone and fell into a level of human suffering that I don't think it's possible for us to even imagine what it was like. His visage was marred more than any man. You know, it's amazing he had enough life left in him to carry his cross to Calgary and be uh, crucified. You know, we can't even imagine the extent of the penalty that he paid for our sin, for the level of suffering that he experienced. So in just a few days, we go from the pinnacle of victory, achievement, and celebration of earthly ministry, and we go into the basement of human suffering uh, to a degree and an extent that is hard to even describe. And so, uh, so to me, this describes uh, the term dichotomy that J Jamie used as a good term, the dichotomy of the Christian life, which is pinnacle of uh, triumph and excitement in celebration to great suffering. That's a snapshot, an expanded snapshot of what we're all about. Now, we're not going to leave it in the basement of suffering because obviously Resurrection Day is just around the corner. But in terms of the cycles that we experience in the Christian life, it's going to be great celebration and victory punctuated by hardship and suffering and difficulty. <clears throat> and here we have what I think is the crux or the core of the mystery of the Christian life that is called the mystery of godliness. The mystery of the Christian life, as we saw it termed in the message translation, is this, this terrible uh, display of extremes from wonderful victory to, to horrendous defeat or suffering on the other hand. These are cycles that you will see through the Christian life. And of course, the end of the story 
ultimately is resurrection. Spiritual vindication, as it was, uh, the terminology was used in one translation. So I want to talk a little bit about suffering today. I know it's not exactly a subject that makes you want to get up and run around the room, but there isn't a person in here who doesn't suffer, who doesn't suffer some things. And this is the mystery. This is the mystery. If we're the redeemed, then why aren't we redeemed from suffering? And this is something that always comes up in ministry. I'd say the crux of Many questions asked me over the decades of ministry that I've been in have to do with this. Why? Why is this happening to me? I've done the best I can do. I've prayed. I've sown. I've tithed. I've done my best to love and be respectful of other people. I've done what I know to do to build my faith. Why is this happening? Why? Big question mark, why? It's the mystery of the Christian life, which is the mystery that we're going to examine today. I did a series decades ago, probably 30 years ago, called The Suffering Question. Because early on in ministry, it became a big question. And I, I dealt with it quite frequently in one, one form or another, you know. And of course, um, it is, I believe, the centerpiece of the mystery that surrounds the Christian life. And we need a little revelation here. Why have we not been redeemed from suffering? Redemption is something we get so excited about. Praise God about why doesn't it apply to suffering? Suffering, the word suffer in the Greek New Testament means to experience a sensation or impression, meaning that it's a physical or soulish feeling or experience. You experience, and it says uh, almost always painful. That's what the concordance says, Strong's Concordance, defines the Greek word once more as the experience of a sensation or an impression that is almost always painful. It can be used in another context occasionally, but normally it is not through the word. And so we need to understand that suffering is a part of the Christian experience. A lot of people get saved and they kind of think, well, you know, sounds like to me I can float along on a little faith cloud or a little grace cloud or a little love cloud. My life is going to be hunky-dory from now on. Not so. And if you've been saved more than 10 minutes, you probably know that. (laughs) But still, a lot of people have this, this, uh, you know, this kind of really skewed view of what it means to be a believer. Suffering is going to occur. And I would say uh, that it is by permission of God as opposed to the will of God. There are some things that you need to understand about suffering that make it a part of the Christian experience uh, human life in general, but specifically the Christian experience as well. Uh, We can take a look at some other passages, or should I do that first or later? Let me think for a moment. Um, Well, I I guess the first thing that I should do is get you to go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, first, and we're going to establish some scriptural parameters for understanding about suffering and why it not only is a part of the human experience but the Christian experience and that it serves an important purpose. It says in Hebrews here, though he were a son, 
yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now sometimes we think of Jesus Christ, you know, we think of him as being, well, he's God. But he did the work of redemption as a man. He didn't come to earth with the vast reservoirs of wisdom and knowledge and understanding as God. He had to learn because he accomplished the work of redemption as a human being. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been our substitutionary sacrifice. But it says he, was, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So that means that suffering is what made him perfect. The word perfect is completely mature. I mean, it has other definitions, but the way that it's most frequently used in Scripture is that it is someone who is completely mature. So he matured into his calling as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our substitutionary sacrifice, our Redeemer, he matured to that place and became the author of eternal salvation by the things that he suffered. Now, according to, you know, the mystery we looked at last week, Christ in you, the hope of glory, our discussions there made it clear that we are to be in Christ. That's the ultimate goal. He starts out in you, But as you reflect his glory, you're actually changed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And so if this is the process he goes through, this is a snapshot of what our Christianity should look like, what we're going to go through. And if it was suffering that brought maturity to him, guess what? Well, let's see that in 1 Peter chapter 5 for a moment. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You know, it's, it's almost, it almost sounds like this God of grace He's going to let you suffer a little while. He's just going to leave you in this this hard, terrible place and let you suffer a little bit. But it's not really that way. I mean, suffering is God's permissive will. You know, uh, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 for a moment. There is no temptation taken you, but such is his common demand. The word temptation... If you've made notes from previous sermons, is the Greek word parosmos, which means a putting to proof by experience of adversity. It's not simply being enticed to sin. Does mean that, but the word temptation is a putting to proof by experience of adversity. It's the word used in James 1:2 when the Bible tells us to count it all joy. When we fall into divers temptations, tests, or trials, knowing this, that it's the trying of your faith. Well, what's going on? Well, who's the tempter anyway? It's not the Lord. Satan is referred to as the tempter, the one who tests and tries your faith. He brings pressure to bear on your faith because he knows your life is going to be unto you according to your faith. He can't change your destiny if he can't alter what you believe. And so he puts pressure on what you believe by generating contrary circumstance to the Word of God. He's a God of this world, the prince of the powers of the air. He has the right to manipulate people in circumstance, to generate circumstance contrary to what you believe. He's putting pressure on your belief system because unless he can get you to change what you believe, 
He's not going to be able to alter your destiny. So this is that same word for temptation here. It is the pressure of contrary circumstance that adversity brings. Adversity is hardship. Suffering is implied. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Very often we feel like nobody's ever had it as bad as we do. Wrong. It's common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you. Now this is a different use of the word. It's a different, a little bit of a different word. And it actually means to allow. Who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or tried. Not allow you to experience this adversity above what you are able to bear. So that's the first thing you need to know when a hard place comes. God isn't going to ever let it become more than you can bear. And additionally, with that difficulty, that hard place, that occasion of suffering, He'll also make a way to escape. Now knowing these things, you can bear it. That you may be able to bear it. By knowing there's a way of escape and knowing that God isn't going to let it become more than you can bear You can handle these hard places. So we're beginning to see that suffering doesn't have to be, uh, you know, just an experience that makes you not even want to spend any more time on this earth. I've had people say, well, I mean, you know, if this is something that I have to do, I don't know if I want to do this. Well, it's a whole lot more suffering without the Lord. Why do you think he made you an overcomer? Because there are going to be things you need to overcome. Duh. I mean, how can you be so blissfully ignorant to think that, you know, God's just going to deliver you from every form of suffering or inconvenience or hardship? Forget about it. God made you an overcomer because, as Jesus said, There is tribulation in this world. Guess who lives in this world? You do. You live in a sin-cursed earth that is ruled by the God of this world who is Satan. In the world without God, people that don't have a covenant with God, they live in the kingdom of darkness, according to the Word. That's all there is to experience. Let me say this to you. If you don't wake up, you're going to suffer. I don't know how to say it more nicely. If you don't wake up, you're going to suffer the consequence of being ignorant of something that's really important. Rise and shine, folks. Amen. Say, we still love you, Mac. Two people. I don't blame you. So, at any rate... There are things about the suffering uh, of a Christian, of ourselves, that we simply need to know, or else we're not going to be equipped to deal with life in the way that we should. I wrote down a few things that uh, seemed worth, you know, I, they, they all just kind of came in a period of about 15 minutes, and I scratched them down so I wouldn't forget them because they sounded pretty good to me at the time, <clears throat> but it helps us, I believe, gain a bit of a handle on the matter of suffering. First of all, suffering never should be attributable be attributable to judgment or chastisement of the Lord. Big mistake. Suffering or the hard places you're in or the negatives that come to pass in your life, should never be attributed by you to the judgment or chastisement of God. Never. He's already judged your sin, even that which you haven't committed yet. Whatever you did yesterday, you know, was forgiven you 2,000 years ago on the cross. Now, you have to appropriate and walk in that forgiveness. That's what acknowledgement of sin, confession of sin, and repentance is all about. But 
you know, it's not God judging you because that judgment already has occurred. The cross of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He doesn't chastise you by bringing bad things to pass in your life. He chastises those that he loves, his children, through his word. And so that being understood, don't ever make the mistake, because most of the church world does. They're confused about this. It's still a mystery to them. You know, God is sovereign. You know, he could prevent this suffering if he wanted to. I don't know what this says about God. You know, and then somebody's faith begins to, you know, be on the verge of getting tossed. This is what the enemy's doing. It is the trying of your faith. You're to be smart enough in the word to understand that's what this is. Don't dare point a finger at God and blame him when bad things happen. I don't care who dies that you knew and thought were a good Christian and shouldn't have. I don't care what happens to other people. You're not to base your faith on what you see or what you feel. You're to base it on the Word of God. And God says He's the author of life, not death. The author of blessing, not cursing. He's got nothing but good things to bring down to you from the Father of light to us above. That's all. So be sure you don't attribute your suffering or your hard places to the judgment or chastisement of the Lord. It simply is not so. I want you to see and understand that the majority of your suffering comes to you because of the decisions you make. I'm, I'm glad to hear all those excited amens. <laughs> but you can't do anything about your life until you take responsibility for your life. Most people live with a victim mentality. My life isn't working out because of them. Look what he did. Look what they did. Look what happened to me. I couldn't help this. I couldn't avoid that. The list goes on. Until you take responsibility for your life, you can't do anything to improve it. So the first thing to realize is that God set before you in the Word of God. Life and blessing, death and cursing, and He said to you, choose. You're a free moral agent. You will choose your course in life, either by default or actually making a decision. If you don't make a decision, then that's as good as making the wrong decision. And you will experience the consequences of the decisions you make. The grace message does not, does not say that, you know, wrong behavior has no consequence. Are you here this morning? Your life is a reflection of the decisions that you've made. And this is where most of the suffering and the hardship comes from. Not all, but most. The other source are those sources that you can't control. And it usually involves other people making decisions as a free moral agent that affects your life. It could be somebody as close to you as a member of your family or a close friend, or it could be a politician in Washington making decisions that somehow affect your life in a negative way. And it doesn't seem you can do anything about it. There are things you can do about it, but it seems like you know, this is another good occasion on which to play the victim. Look what's wrong. You know, this is something I can't avoid or can't do anything about. Well, the first thing you should be, be doing is to be getting excited about the fact that God says, number one, he's not going to let it become more than you can bear. Number two, he will provide a way of escape. Number three, it's going to establish you, strengthen you, and mature you. 
Number four, Romans 8, 28 says that all things work for good for them that love God and are called according to His purpose. His purpose. You got to be interested in doing life the way He says you should. But if you love Him and are called according to His purpose, then no matter what mistakes you've made or what mistakes other people have made that are affecting you, it can work for your good. Man, you ought to be more excited about this because this is good news whether you realize it or not. I, you know, I'm not looking for, for that, that. I am, I'm just looking for you to get engaged. And maybe you're engaged, you're just so engaged, you're not saying anything. But you can say amen, hallelujah, glory to God every now and then uh, if you want. But basically, decisions that other people make that are beyond your control in the sense you can't change them, that's secondary. I'd say the majority of the decisions, the majority of the hardships that come your way relate to decisions you've made or perhaps have avoided making because no decision at all is the same as a bad decision. So the majority of them fall in that category. So the first thing that ought to happen when hardship comes your way, when you're suffering a little bit, remember suffering defined as experiencing sensations or impressions. That's physical pain or emotional darkness oppression, fear, hardship, you know, these are, these are the things that you feel. And most of the time when you're suffering some way, uh, you know, it relates to a decision you made. So the first thing you do is you sit down and say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal to me where I blew this. And 99% of the time, if you got an ear tuned and you're expecting him to answer, he will. Pop, a light will come on. You'll see what you did, and there'll be a corrective action you can take. I mean, even things I believe blamed other people for in my glorious past. You know, I would, I would, I would, you know, the Star Tribune has been somebody I've loved to blame for all of the things that have gone wrong for the last 10 years. You know, they're bad liberal coverage of, you know, who they thought was an enemy. But you know, if I want to be truthful about it, I can go back to things that I've said that inflamed those occasions and brought it upon myself a lot of times. A lot of times the things that other people do that I would point a finger at them and say, look what they're doing. They're affecting my life. I brought it on myself by something I said or did. So the majority of your your suffering, I mean, if it's a health problem, it could be. It could be, you know, I used to, listen to me, before I got a revelation of eating right, and that was a revelation from God that I got as a part of the process of correcting my diagnosis of prostate cancer, which has been gone for 10 years now. But essentially, part of that process involved getting my eating right. The Lord said to me, you know, um, through Dr. Colbert, uh, who some of you are familiar with that name, uh, said, your problem is nutritional. Look at what you eat. The male prostate is like a garbage can. All of the insoluble metals and uh, poisons that can't be, uh, you know, put out through the normal channels of waste, wind up in the prostate. And he said, oftentimes it produces cancer. He said, you need to start eating right. And there's some things you can eat that will help with that process. So we hired a a nutritionist that has worked for us for the last 12 years uh, to, you know. And now I'm I'm at the extreme end of this, this consideration because of what I experienced. I made some corrections. I mean, I eat organic, non-GMO. I eat proper 
amounts of protein, carbohydrate, and fat. Uh, I do occasionally have a sugar attack, uh, <laughs> but I try to limit that to, you know, uh, once a week maybe or, le- or, or less frequent than that. Uh, but it has made all kinds of differences. I mean, before I had this revelation, and water, man, do I drink water. Drink a lot of water. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that can interfere with your sleep sometime when you drink a lot of water, but <laughs> it's still better than the, uh, than the opposite. I mean, I used, I've always been into running, working out, done it since I'm, I was the, one of my additional duties when I was a pilot in the Air Force was squadron physical training officer. I used to love to run my buddies and show them how out of shape they were in. And, you know, I've always loved to run and to work out. And basically, uh, you know, until I was probably uh, 63, 64 years old, I would rehydrate after I ran by drinking three or four cans of Diet Pepsi. I mean, it's a fluid, right? It's fluid. No calories. Ain't going to put on any weight. You know, the Atkins diet uh, was popular for a while. I loved it because I'd go buy me a five-pound tenderloin and eat it in two meals, you know. Uh, that's all I'd eat. So, you know, you can see why I had a little bit of problems down the road. Uh, I was extreme. But now I'm extreme in the other way. I'm a guy of extremes. I either do things extremely wrong or extremely right, you know. But uh, so I'm on the other extreme now. Uh, but, you know, just, just think about it. If your health is problematic for you and you're constantly having to believe God uh, for healing, then I would say, you know, some basic decisions involve uh, some of the things that science tells us you shouldn't do. And, and basically start making alterations in, your, in your, the way you eat. If, you're a, you know, if you've been a lifelong couch potato, I would say that it would do you well. And there's, there's you know, a way to, to generate an exercise profile that isn't risky for you and that will grow with you over time until you get to where you love it. I mean, you know. That's a form of suffering I like to do because I know the effect that it's having. Where they say, no pain, no gain. That's true in a lot of instances. That's almost a scriptural truth because it's the hard places in our life, the things that's tough for us to do that give us the greatest growth in God. That's just a fact. A lot of things we can get by revelation A lot of things we're only going to learn by making a mistake and correcting it. Oh, well, you know what? There's there's too much to say and too little time to say it. Let me me make uh, a couple of other observations here. Suffering is always abated in two ways, I think. One is by your certainty that it's not God doing this to you. Even if you can't correct it by a decision you've made, the Bible tells us that there's a process you can engage in that will take you through it successfully, and you'll be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And the process is to be patient. Let patience have her perfect work, and you'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The Greek word defined patience means simply cheerful endurance. You endure that hardship, that contradiction to your faith, that suffering. You endure it cheerfully. How can you endure it cheerfully? Because you know there's a way of escape. You know God ain't going to let it be more than you can accommodate. You know that if you just are consistent in your belief system and don't quit, 
In due season you will reap, amen. You know these things. You know the outcome of that hard place can make you better than you were before. It will make you better than you were before. And this certainty that Romans 8.28 is for you, that God will cause this to work for your good because you love him and the call of God on your, you, you, you are interested in fulfilling his call, his purpose for your life. And so therefore this deal is going to work. He's going to make it work for your good. All you have to do is quit looking like you've lost your best friend. Quit walking around on your lower lip. The Bible says you're to laugh at destruction and famine. Ha, 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 ha. Sometimes it comes out forced like that. You start out by going, ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha. And then, you know, you'll get tickled at how silly you sound, and you'll start going, ha, 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 ha. It's real. It's more real. And then you'll feel the joy beginning to rise up. You've got to laugh. You've got to be cheerful in your approach to the hard places in your life, not because God's chastening you or it's his will, uh, it's his judgment or something silly like that. No. You do it because it will establish you, strengthen you, mature you. God will use it and turn it to your good. He's never going to let it be more than you can bear. Somewhere in here there's a way of escape if you ask him, he'll show you. And you, all you got to do in the meantime is cheerfully endure. And you will come out the other end perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and there's one other thing you can do to really make this go more quickly and be less uh, you know, less of a negative to you. Second Corinthians 4.17 tells us for our light affliction, this is Paul writing, are you kidding me? He's calling his affliction light? Stoned how many times within an inch of his life? Beaten? Shipwrecked? I mean, the stuff he's gone through. He's saying it's a light affliction? Which is but for a moment. As far as I know it, went his whole life, you know, from the time he got knocked off the horse by the glory of God. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's just what we've been, been talking about. God causes all things to work for your good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. He says if you just cheerfully endure, you'll be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So he says that all of these things will work for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And it'll be light, or it'll seem light, and it'll seem momentary if you do this. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Well, that sounds like a riddle. For the things which are seen are temporal, so okay, now he's talking about this natural temporal world that we live in. Obviously, those are the things that our sensory perceptions pick up on. And he said, you're not to look at that realm because it's temporal or temporary. The word literally means subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The unseen realm. That's what's revealed by the Word of God. Science and the empirical process can validate truth in the temporal realm, but science and empiricism cannot penetrate the veil of life or death, heaven or hell, God or the devil, angels or demons. All the unseen realm is revealed to us by the Word of God. That's how you identify truth in that arena of life. And it is eternal. And it is what causes the temporal realm to change when you invest your faith 
in the unseen truths of the eternal realm. But here you go. The word look at or look not at means focus. Focus not on. The word actually means to consider, uh, to study, to focus on. While you focus not on the things that are seen, but focus on the unseen, truths of God's Word. So you can make it light and momentary. You can make it seem like nothing at all. You can cheerfully, if you look at the things that are not seen, who you are in Christ, more than a conqueror through Him who loved you. I don't care if you feel like a conqueror or not. God says you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Oh, man, just look at the unseen realm. Focus there. You are being transfigured into the image of Christ. Yeah, so you're going to experience some suffering. Big deal. You're going to get the gospel preached into all of this world. Do your part in it. The day's coming when you're going to be caught up into glory just like Jesus was caught up into glory. Keep your eyes where they belong and the heart places become light and they become momentary. You almost ought to get excited when things don't go like you'd like. Well, okay, I'll close by saying this very simply. If you'll cheerfully endure, don't get weary and faint, then just keep this thought in mind. Resurrection Day isn't far away.